Okay, we're going to jump right into the passage. Again, welcome. Uh, Luke 1, verse 5 is where we're at. Did the introduction last week. Uh, Let me sum it up for you real quick before I read. Luke is the author of this book. He's a physician. He's very detailed. And he wants you to be certain of Jesus and all the details of Jesus. So the book of Luke is going to record those. He's going to explain all those. He's going to do interviews. He was not one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. He was a Gentile who was converted after. And so that's what we're going to uh, Uh, dive in to all that he has discovered, and this is really the beginning here in Luke 1, 5. says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of… Okay? And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. When an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, "Um, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I'll stand in the presence of God, and and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, why is he staying so long in the temple? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. He had kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Wow, there's a lot in here, and we're going to try to tackle it. But uh, I couldn't help but think when I was looking at this, 
I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, the, Zechariah, the most important prayer of his life, he's been praying for years and tens and dozens and dozens of years for a child. And the torment that he must have experienced, unimaginable, especially in their context. And his disbelief or his question rendered him speechless. Now, maybe you've been out there on the internet this week and you've already seen this occurrence of speechlessness, but I couldn't help but think of this illustration when I think of not being able to speak. Watch this. So, Seattle Youth Football is going to have some new uniforms, maybe a new field, and uh, that is a great video though, isn't it? Can you imagine how hard that would be? Oh, wow. I, I don't think I would survive. I was losing my voice by the end of the game, and I was just in my own house. And, uh, and, and consider something you've wanted for even longer than the Seahawks have wanted to make it to the Super Bowl with it actually a chance of winning, right? And uh, it, it, Zechariah is in the temple, and he is experiencing this. Like, it is his promise, like, wow, my prayer of having a son is not just having a child, but having a son is about to be answered. But he asks that question, and the, the angel says, you're not going to be able to speak. So he's, he's not going to be able to go home and tell his wife, like, it's Cialis commercial time, we're about to get pregnant, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's 70 years old. He's around 70 years old. This is a Cialis commercial, right? In this moment of life. And he's just like, I just got to tell you, you know, they're giving each other that look. That's all he can do. He can't talk. He can't say a thing. He can only kind of try to express to her that they're going to have a child. His wife, he's experienced her disgrace. I mean, she's been disgraced in her childlessness, and Mary is about to be disgraced in her being pregnant with a child. It's kind of interesting, the perspective that Luke shows us here, the two extremes, if you would. And then I'm reading this and studying this, and I realize the depth and importance of this week in my life. And uh, um, in 1973... On January 22nd, Roe versus Wade ruling came down, right? Abortion became legalized, and, uh, and then 20 years later, uh, my uh, ex-girlfriend called me over to her house and, and expressed to me, and she was very emotional at an event. We saw each other that night, earlier that night, and she called me over and and she shared with me that she had had an abortion and that it was my child. And here I am, 20 years old, and reached uh, pretty much like the things that came into my head that night had to have been from God. I have no idea how, like when I was a little tiny kid in Sunday school, the things I had learned, the Ten Commandments, just different things all flooded back into my head that night, uh, and I literally was going through the, the Ten Commandments in my head thinking, I have just, I've broken all these, like, I, oh my word. I am just, a, I couldn't imagine a lower point. And that's when the words of, 
A girl in high school echoed in my head when she said to me, I know you're not going to come to church. I've invited you many times. But one day when you reach rock bottom, come to Shoreline Community Church and you'll be loved. So the next morning, I wake up. I drive from West Seattle up to Shoreline where this church was. I walk into the back. And a guy named Bob Blair is an usher there in the back and, and it helps me find a seat very large church, and I listened to a message from a pastor. It's his first day, and the first words he says is he holds up his wedding ring. It's got this diamond in it, and it seems to, like, shine right at my, my eyes, right? And he's like, he said, he said, this is the only form of safe sex. And he starts preaching a, mer- a message on what's called in that church, Sanctity of Life Sunday where they are talking about how abortion is wrong. And I was just like, oh. I'm in the back weeping. I, I, I had the, I'm sure I had the hup-ups, you know, when you cry so hard, you're like, <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to contain myself because I'm in the back because I'm hiding, right? I know it's hard to hide in the back here at Open Life, but, you know, it's just like, it's like I am just absolutely wanting to disappear and nobody see the condition I'm in. Uh, but that's not what really, like, hit me as I was reading this passage, nor was it what hit me and really came to life, the fact that all of a sudden, wow, I realized I've been in church for half of my life. Um, uh, what, what hit me was what happened about two and a half, or no, it was more years than that later. So it, was, it was about two and a half years into my marriage when I was a youth pastor now, and my wife and I decided that, you know, we had been married for two and a half years, it's time to have a baby, time to start having kids. We had in our mind, let's have four kids, right? And uh, so we tried, and a month goes by, and another month goes by, and three months go by, and six months go by, and a year goes by, and it starts to get really tough. Uh, more so, obviously, on Dana than myself. And uh, I'm a pastor, right? But I'm still having these thoughts in my head that are like, like this is just, deserve, you, you deserve this. Like, this is to get you back for that abortion. This is to get you back for the loss of life. You're not going to be able to have kids. And I'm just going, Seriously. Right? I'm having these thoughts. I know that's not true. I know that's not our God. But those thoughts the enemy would just like uh, bombard me with every month. What should be something very beautiful became a task. It became, uh, you know, something that was like, I mean, you're, you're <laughs> okay now, right? Uh, I don't have to like demonstrate farther than that. But just, it was, it, it became something that was robbing us of like, marriage and love, and, uh, and, it, and it was pretty, pretty crazy uh, trying to process how, you know, as a youth pastor at the time, how teenagers in our youth ministry could be getting pregnant at a party and coming in for counseling with Dana and I, weeping because they're pregnant. We're trying to keep it together to, like, help them value life. 
And all at the same time, we're going home that night in tears. Like, okay, God, how is this fair, right? How could a teenager just get pregnant and we've been trying for years? It was hecka painful. I don't know that I've ever shared this part of our story. And uh, so we understand the pain of childlessness, not for as many years as Elizabeth and Zechariah, but we understand the pain of that. Well, luckily, as it would, uh, God showed up, and even though it was painful, we would go to parties and stuff, and people would go, you guys should think about having kids, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> never thought of that. Punch you in the face, right? So it was just kind of, that's where we were at, and uh, it was just being truthful. And uh, so we're, we're in that place in life, and, and we haven't told people. I don't know why we didn't tell people. Why did we not share our prayer request, right? It was pretty dumb of us, and, but we didn't. And we, we find ourselves at a service where an evangelist, Keith Kippen, is speaking, and he, he, Dana's in one side praying. I'm in the other side of the back praying with students. It's right after a winter camp, and uh, which all of you students should be at the winter camp that's coming up in a couple weeks. Plug. There we go. Uh, so the but just I'm sitting there praying with students, and I'm like, I think I need to go ask Keith to pray for us. And and at the same time, as I find out later, Dana's on the other side, and she hears from the Holy Spirit. She's like, I think we need to go have this evangelist pray for us. And so we're walking up to the platform, and right then, the evangelist says, Thad and Dana, would you come up? I, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. He goes to, to pray for us. He announces to the whole church that he's going to pray for us to get pregnant. <laughs> it was so weird. And, uh, and, and we didn't tell him that. He just was going to do it. Like, that's bold, right? That's like, you better be right if you're going to pray that over somebody just like that. And uh, uh, God that night divinely healed us. And uh, it wasn't but just, you know, 10, 11, 12 months later after that, we were pregnant, uh, had kids, identical twins, Jocelyn and Jenna. And uh, the doctors throughout that whole process were telling us how identical twins are so rare, not in our, you know, you, it's just like a gift from God. It's just a total miracle. The pregnancy was perfect. All these things. And we're like, yes, it is. It is an absolute gift of God. And we thought it was over. But then we wanted to have a third kid, right? And I remember going to the doctor. And that first appointment with the doctor the next time, saying, how did you guys have kids? This is impossible. You did not have kids. You can't have kids. When they were examining Dana, and we were just like, are you serious? You know what? You know, and so we start that journey again, month, two months, three months, six months, four months. You know, and it was like God divinely showed up again and gave birth to Jaden. And she is the life of the room, right? And uh, again, impossible. You can't have kids. Walked out that same journey in, in Preston. So we have four kids. God's healed us over and over again. The doctor said it was impossible. We couldn't have kids. So pardon me for having a moment today as I read this passage about Zechariah and Elizabeth, but I identify with their pain. And, and so I just want you to know before you walk out of this room today, whatever miracle you came into this room needing, 
God can do it. Nothing's impossible with him. We're going to talk a little bit about childbearing and and birth in this passage, but whatever your miracle is, God can and does heal and does do miracles. Why does Luke choose this? So Luke chooses this as the starting point of his very accurate certainty of Jesus record. He starts with this story, Zechariah, the priest, walking into the temple. Why? Well, it's been 400 years since a word from God. 400 years. Malachi 3.1 records it. It says, see, I will send my messenger. This is God speaking, right? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Goes on in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Nothing more for four hundred years. And the first words Zechariah hears are those passages from the angel Gabriel. Wow! Zechariah, this is his day. This is incredible. I mean, poof, 400 years of silence, and then all of a sudden, we get to know Zechariah and Elizabeth a little bit before that moment hits, right? Upright, blameless in the sight of God. Not just people, right? In the sight of God, they're blameless. That means they don't put on a good show. They are the real deal, which unfortunately, unfortunately must have been an issue back then for Luke to point that out, that there were some that just weren't the real deal. So he makes it clear that, hey, these guys are the real deal. Inside of God, they're upright. But in perspective, though, they were the real deal, that, but they were not a big deal. You've got to understand, I mean, we read and we're like priests in the Bible, whoa, right? There were 18,000 priests. And at this occurrence right here, when, uh, when it says he's a priest of Abijah or whatever, that means he probably, we would know that as like a pastor or a small town country church pastor of about 20 people, maybe like 50 people. He was just a small town him and his wife, she was in the priestly lineage as well, and they were really, honestly, no big deal. It's kind of cool. Average, small preachers. But in this passage, it says, but, right? All that to say, their childlessness was not due to sin. So he picks, he's like, here's these priests, they're both in the lineage, they're upright in the sight of God, but they had no children. He wanted us to know, Luke wants us to know, it wasn't sin that caused them to be with no children. Because I think just like Dana and myself would process, I was like, it was my fault. I'm like sitting there the whole time going, this is because of my life, this is because of me, right? Which was totally false when we were trying to have kids, but uh, what's interesting is I'm sure it was their motivation for their prayer, though, 
that made them live so righteously and upright. Come on, have you ever been in a room, I've been here, where there's like an evangelist and, uh, or, or like a prophet, they start prophesying over people and they're like, somebody's here and he has a, a white handkerchief in his left back pocket and you were searching porn earlier and caught you. God wants you to repent. And some guy's like, oh no, right? In front of his family, he walks forward and he's like, oh dear Jesus. You know, they start crying. Everybody else in the room is like, God forgive me for I did a sin. I, I looked at that person lustfully. You know, I mean, you're just all repenting really quick, you know? And, um, and, and I'm kind of envisioning like, you know, here's, here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They want to have children. You know they have, they're observing all the law. That's like 600 different rules in the sight of God. They're observing completely perfectly. They had motivation. They wanted a child. Just like you'd be motivated if you're in that crowd with the evangelist starting to call out people's sins. You're like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have. This is the wrong day. Um. They're far along in years, is recorded here in this story. Why, why is that in there? No children. They're well along in years. Well, the people of this day would be well-versed in the Old Testament. When he said they're far along in years, they would get what that means. He's writing to Theophilus, and anybody Theophilus would share this book with, right? Luke. And so he's sitting here going, you know, they were well along in years. Immediately, people are going to think of Sarah in the Old Testament and how she couldn't have a child, and then all of a sudden, the angel shows up, right? They're going to think of Rebecca. They're going to think of Rachel. They're going to think of Samson's mother who gave him to, to be the Lord's. They're going to think of children who were born to women in this beyond age of bearing children, and all of them were set apart for greatness. Luke set in the stage for us to understand God allows miracles to happen. So now Zechariah is there for his week of service. He would do this two weeks in the year. One week here, one week there. And he would, in his priestly club, group, that went there and performed all the duties of the temple, there would be 750 priests. And what they would do while they're there is they would, they would you know, kind of delegate all the tasks. But the, the one task that was very important, the, the putting of incense on like some hot coals and, and the smoke would rise as a symbol of praying to God, like as a sweet aroma. Prayer is a sweet aroma to God. So whoever got that job, they, they cast lots for that job because they believe in casting lots being the determining of the will of God. Lots were like rocks. Check this this image out here. They were like rocks with maybe their names inscribed. These are from the same period of time in Rome. These are lots. They're a bunch of rocks with maybe inscriptions on them, and they'd like put a piece of cloth on the ground, and they'd take these 750 rocks and cast them out, and if one landed on the cloth, well, Zechariah, your name hit the cloth. Your lot was chosen. God's willing that you go in to the temple and do this task of the incense. It's like it's his day. You only get to do this if you're a priest once in your lifetime. Your lot doesn't make it back in the casting. So it's like this is his once in a lifetime. Like even if nothing happens while he's in the temple, he's going to go home. And Elizabeth, you wouldn't believe it. This is the greatest week of my life. This is what I've lived for. Some people never get to go into the temple, but I got to do the incense. Kind of interesting, he couldn't even tell that story to his wife because he's silenced. His hits the mark and just shows us that the will of God was that something big was going to 
This is going to be a big, big day. Interesting, there's different phrases throughout the book of Luke, and let's call them Lucan phrases, right? That's what a lot of commentaries say. They're like, these are Lucan expressions because of the book of Luke. Uh, One of them is that he points out the fact that while Zechariah went into the temple, everybody else outside was praying. Why would he do this? He always, as we're going to discover going through the book of Luke, he's always pointing out the fact that there are others in the scenario and story. There are others in the scene that are doing the spiritual work for the physical reward. While Zech is is in there and he's the lead character and he's the lead role, Luke wanted everybody to know that there were other people involved. They were key ingredients to the story. And I started relating that to us. I'm like, there, there's no minimizing any role, right, in, in the world we live in. Running sound is not a minimal role just because you're not up speaking or, or singing or teaching in a room. Uh, driving a trailer or, or driving students to camp is not a, a minimal role in the scenario of what happens spiritually in their life at winter blowout. It's a big deal to be a part of it. There's no minimizing. In fact, there's no minimizing your role of even just being present at times. We were talking about it this week at our staff meeting, just how important it is to be present and trying to figure out, like, you know, how important is it to somebody who's a a first-time guest to walk into a room on a Sunday where everybody chooses to sleep in versus a Sunday where people decide to get out of bed and come to church? Maybe they just needed 10 more people there to choose to come back a second time and hear the message of Jesus. Or maybe they just needed someone they could relate to to be present. And because you stayed home in your comfy jammies, right? You know what I'm saying? This is just, just talking real. This is one of those moments. We, don't, we think it's so insignificant, though. If all I go and I'm just going to worship, I'm just going to hear you preach again, Thad. And, and I just like, my bed was warm, dude. The kids woke up last night, and, 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 and so I'm tired. Ten o'clock is early. You know, it's really not. But anyway, but I was just, you know, ten, and so they, you, you go through all these rationalizations, and you're like, but what about that other person that needs you? You didn't know they needed you, but they needed you. You were one of them that was outside praying in this scene. Luke thinks it's important for us to to understand there's no small role. I remember that day, and I mentioned it when I walked into Shoreline Community Church. Bob Blair, the usher, sat me in, but it was the coolest thing, and I posted a little blurb on his Facebook this week as I was recalling it. And when I was weeping with the hup-ups in the back row of Shoreline, uh, that day I remember him making his way over to me and just asking, are you okay? I was like, yeah. But I remembered that. I gave Bob a lot of hugs over the years. I'm still friends with Bob. And just He was an usher. That's all. That day he was just seating people. He was just, but you know what the ushers did at that church? They saw it their duty to pray over the section of people that they were assigned, and I was in his section. So I thanked him that I've now been in church half my life. 
Maybe you're just out in the parking lot and you see somebody trying to find their way around and you're like, can I help you? Maybe you invite them in. It's Lori's story. That day would have ended very differently if somebody wouldn't have had their why not moment in 20 seconds of insane courage and just see somebody in a pickup in a parking lot saying, hey, come on into church. And an eternity was transformed to that day in Lori's life. What's your story? Who was just the person outside praying in your story? It's interesting to think about. Maybe you should tell them thank you this week. Maybe that should have been one of the next steps on your connection card is to thank somebody who was outside praying in your story. Well, there's significant roles. There's no minimal role in this. Zechariah is uh, doing his once-in-a-lifetime task of putting the incense on, the, on this hot coals, and, and all of a sudden he notices that something that might seem very, it might just pass you by in the story, but the angel shows up on his right. The right is known as like the side of your favor, uh, of favor. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and uh, it's very important if he was on the left, he might have been there to do something else, right? So you're like, oh, oh, you know, but Zechariah, can you imagine? He's like 70-some years old. He's like, Lord, I just, you know, I pray that you would help us overcome. Like Herod is just persecuting the church, and, and I just pray as well, God, if it's your will, just give us a son. And he opens his eyes and like, <gasps> man diaper time, right? Like right there, there's an angel. I'm either, this is either good or it's my time to go. And, uh, and so just this big old angel right there, and he's, every time you see angel occurrences, people are filled with fear, <laughs> and the angel's always like, don't be afraid. <laughs> I just wonder if, like, one angel would have had a sense of humor, right? Boo! Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Zechariah would have just been, <laughs> then the story would be, and then Gabriel raised him to life so he could go home. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Woo! And then we would see it on YouTube. Oh, what a great practical joke. I love all those. Like the little creepy girl comes out in the elevator. You know, I don't know. I love the practical jokes. Just one funny angel. Okay, moving on. Um, So the angel tells him John's role in the people, and he says, John is going to bring joy and peace and delight. And this is the wording that just is awesome. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Again, we were talking about this as, as a staff this week where we were talking about a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, when you're reading your Bible during the week, are you preparing yourself for what you're going to encounter with the Lord on Sundays? Do you come through the door on a Sunday? If, if you've been here before and if you're like a Christian, if you're following Jesus, do you walk through the door expecting to get something from the Lord? It'll change your experience on a Sunday if that's your posture. If you're just coming because, well, I know I'm supposed to go to church. Thad said I should wake up and get out of my comfy jammies. That's one posture. Or I can't wait because God is going to do something in my life. He has something for me to discover so that I can grow in relationship with Him. And and be expectant. I love walking through the doors, being prepared for the Lord, versus hoping when I walk through the doors I can get just made right with the Lord. Total different posture. So God was, God was telling Zechariah all that was going to happen and the difference that was going to be made in the world. But he opens his mouth and, uh, and he's silenced because of it. 
kind of interesting. Kind of interesting what we discover here, though, in this passage. And I'm running out of time to cover all of what's in here, but I just look at one of the things that means so much to me is that it's pointed out that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. His destiny is being talked about before his conception. And you go back to the whole life issue we face in our country all the time, abortion and and just all the realities of my story and all that we face continually, knowing the statistics, one in five of you either know someone who's had an abortion or you yourself have had one. And it does affect us. It affects me. And you look at this, and the Holy Spirit knew that we needed to be, uh, we needed this. We needed to have an identity and and know that children have a destiny even before conception. That they mean something to God even before they're born. Think of the potential of every child. And we value the freedom of choice, don't you know, God gives us all the freedom of choice, but we also see that God values the life of every child. And we must realize life begins at conception, whatever that means for you. I want you to grab a hold of that because it's right here in our text. While Zechariah and Elizabeth must have kept praying, there, there had to have been some doubt after 10 years, after 20 years, after 30 years, they're well along in age, which means they're probably 50, 60, 70 years old. But this is what the angel says, my words will come true at their proper time. Do you pray with that faith, with that much faith? Here in a moment, we're going to have a response time, and and we're going to invite those of you who need a miracle. Maybe you want to have kids. Maybe you know somebody who wants to have kids. Maybe you need healing. We're going to pray for you today. But not just today. Do you pray consistently for decades? Because at the proper time, Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We've got to keep at this. We can't give up. I'm glad Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't give up because John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. He baptized Jesus. I'm glad they didn't give up. Some of us have been praying for quite some time, maybe like us, for a baby. God's listening. This passage is here so that you know that. Some of you have been praying for discernment, considering adoption maybe. God is directing you and listening. Some of you have been living in unforgiveness of yourself because maybe you had an abortion or maybe you were part of that decision to have an abortion. Maybe you were the one encouraging someone to have an abortion. God forgives you. You need to forgive yourself in this scenario. There's grace for you. Jesus came for that freedom of grace. For Elizabeth, it all came down to this moment, a fresh revelation of all that Jesus could bring grace because she lived in disgrace. Kind of funny, huh? Every woman that would come up to her and that, as the priest's wife, right? And, and, you know, they would get pregnant and she had to bless them, just like Dana and us, you know. We went to many a baby shower. 
with the smile that was very probably fake on her face. Celebrated, but it was painful. Each person who approached her asking when her and Zechariah were going to have kids, when the Lord would bless them. Every pound she gained. And some well-wisher would say, are you pregnant? She's like, no, I just ate too much during Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving hadn't happened, but you know. The whispers in public, why hasn't she had kids? God, they must not be really faithful behind closed doors. Interesting, Luke points out that they were faithful in the sight of God, maybe because everybody was talking about how they couldn't have been faithful or God would have blessed them with children. The brunt of the jokes and the gossip. God gives them children in speechlessness for Zechariah. And we'll pick up the rest of the story in the coming weeks. God has speechless wonders ahead for all of us. You've got your connection card there. There's some potential-like responses on the back of it. But here's the deal. Today we want to pray for your miracle. And we want to, uh, maybe some of you, we're just going to pray with you for you to finally forgive yourself. And so I would love if you would, we're going to do it a little different, not live worship. We're just going to do worship on the screen here behind me. And call like Bruce and Jaden and Ida and myself will be down here to pray with you. And then Jaden will come and close our service in a couple minutes. But we want to take time and pray with each of you that would need a miracle or maybe a miracle for someone you love. So if you would stand, it would be less awkward for somebody to stand up and walk down. Um, God, I thank you for every person here. And, and we're just going to be up here for the next few minutes to pray with anybody who needs a miracle, anybody who wants to pray for someone else's miracle. Uh, we want to pray for those who want to get pregnant. We want to pray for those who know somebody who's trying to, to have children or trying to discern whether adoption is right for them or, or maybe they need healing because of cancer invading their body or they know someone who's losing their life over this and they just want to call out to you for a miracle. Maybe some in this room just finally need to embrace forgiveness of themselves for past choices. And I just pray that you do incredible healing, raise our faith up in this place in the next few minutes as we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Amen.